0: Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. where we're continuing our one-week series, Faith and What We Hope for, today, with a message entitled, Pleasing God. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, as we join Dr. Newfeld now.
1: I know many Christians approach a new year with a very different set of resolutions than do non-Christians. I mean, rather than limiting ourselves to what we'd like to accomplish, many Christians, when either thinking about the past or thinking about the future, will include some of the sins which have burdened their souls. To the man hooked on pornography, to the woman struggling with bitterness of soul, to a person who's been prayerless, to the person who's failed to be generous and who struggles with greed— And New Year presents us with opportunities to examine our lives and to consider how we might renounce our former sins and and commit to living well and commit our lives to Christ anew. But in this, there's a great danger. I mean, the danger is that we substitute the gospel of Jesus Christ with the gospel of moral reformation. I mean, sadly for some, your life has become about defeating sin without embracing Jesus. Now, look, as with much of life, there are ditches on both sides of the road. On the one side of the road is a ditch called the ditch of antinomianism. And that means the ditch of lawlessness. And that's the person who doesn't think it's important to keep the commands of God. And that's the person who thinks that our sins really aren't an issue at all. That person might reason to him or herself, well, God's commands don't matter. All that matters is believing in Jesus. The commands ah you know that's just legalism away with the law of god i'm in christ now and if that's you i have a word from the lord yeah a word from the lord romans 8:13 if you live according to the flesh you will die you can convince yourself that you will live but god says different you keep on sinning you're going to die hebrews 10:26 warns us that if we deliberately keep on sinning no sacrifice for sins remains in other words, if you deliberately keep on sinning after you've received Christ, well, the day is going to come when Christ's cross will mean nothing to you. What does that tell you? It tells you that the battle against indwelling sin isn't optional. It's very serious business. It's a matter of life and death. I mean, think of this as the great warfare of your life. This is not a battle that you can afford to lose. And that's very somber and that tells us that we must make this matter of personal sins a matter of utmost urgency in this coming year don't let anyone fool you about this matter and stay away from the ditch of antinomianism ask the holy spirit to give you the power to overcome now here's the ditch on the other side of the road it's called works righteousness and it goes like this you know if i can just stop sinning i'm going to be acceptable to god Just clean up that bad stuff, try harder, reform yourself, gain control of those evil impulses, and presto, you'll be a good Christian. And that's as deadly as the ditch of antinomianism. I mean, this is the ditch of moral reform without the gospel of Jesus. These are the people that think, when I'm moral enough, God will be pleased with me. Let me tell you what's wrong. See, defeating your sin is not the final goal. I mean, what if you became sinless? Well, then, do you think that, by itself, that would make you happy? See, I know of moralistic people who are among the least happy people I've ever known, and almost no one wants to be like that. Their lives aren't exciting, and they're not pleasing to God. Ah, what's the goal then? Well, according to Hebrews 12, verse 1, we need to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us so that we might run the race that lies before us. Ah, laying aside your sin is not the goal at all. Your goal is to run the race set before you. The problem with your sin is that it keeps you from running the race. Extra weight, burden on your shoulders, and you lose the race. You need to shed all that burden, all that weight, so that you can run with your feet light as can be. You can win, but make no mistake, the goal is to run the race, not shed the weight. Well then, what are we talking about? Let's stop speaking in metaphor, shall we? And let's speak plainly. What is the goal? We have, as a way of celebrating a new year, been speaking about Hebrews 11. It's that chapter which celebrates the great men and women of the faith who successfully ran the race and were pleasing to God. That's the goal. And as we saw yesterday, the great men and women of the past were men and women of faith. They believed God's future promises with such conviction. The future, the celestial city the bowing before the throne of God and and becoming joint heirs with Jesus. I mean, that reality already lived inside of them. Sin takes that vista away, makes us stop running, and it makes us forget the future that might be ours. See, now we've started a one-week study, and we're concentrating on some of the key texts in Hebrews 11. It's that chapter, of course, that celebrates the great men and women of faith in the past. And these men and women should be our heroes. We should study their lives. We should learn why it is that they ran the race so well, and we should learn to emulate them. What made them pleasing to God? Well, Hebrews 11 says it was their faith. They had already received a foretaste of what was to come, and their eyes glistened with anticipation of what was just around the corner. And that's why they were able to abandon the world. And that's why they were able to lay aside all that sin that weighed them down. That's why these men and women were men and women of mighty exploits. So let's learn more about the faith of these men and women. So we begin now with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, at first glance, we might wonder why verse 3 is actually there. We're anticipating one example after another of mighty people of faith. And at first glance, this verse about you know, creation of the universe, well, it seems out of place. Why are we talking about creation now? Why is it necessary to understand that the universe came into being by the unseen God? Well, let's answer that. So where do we start? Well, we notice verse 3 begins with the words, by faith. And that formula, by faith, well, that gets repeated another 20 times in this chapter. I mean, look at some of those occurrences. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. Then verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, and so on. I mean, all these commendable people live by faith. And then on to the later sections of the chapter in verse 32, the author says that he doesn't have time to discuss Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and so forth. But, says the writer of Hebrews, there were a great many people, people whose lives were rich and full, people who accomplished great things, and all of their lives can be summed up with the words, by faith. It's because that was the central issue of their lives. They lived having tasted of the future promises of God, and they were betting their lives on those promises. And so whatever we make of verse 3, we notice that it begins with the words, by faith. So perhaps verse 3 is there to indicate the starting place, the place where we begin the life of faith. That is, perhaps the great men and women of faith all had the same perspective as they approached life, and that perspective had something to do with how they viewed the creation. That would be very interesting, and if that's true, well, we should learn verse 3 quite well, wouldn't you say? So let's continue to read. By faith, says the writer of Hebrews, by faith we understand something about the nature of God's creation and his universe. Now, that verse very nicely parallels Psalm 33, verses eight and nine. That Psalm says, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now, putting those two thoughts together, that is the one thought from Hebrews 11, verse three, And the second one from Psalm 33, well, a picture begins to emerge. First, notice the distinction between what we can see, that is, what our physical eyes can see, and the things that we can't see. We can see the creation. We can't see the creator. And second, if we are to live by faith, well, it's obvious we need to concentrate on that which we can't see. So look at it this way. You know, in our day, there are all sorts of people who say, you know, I actually don't believe in God, I believe in science. Well, all those people really are saying is, I don't believe in anything that I can't perceive by my five senses. And if you think about that, that's quite a statement. I mean, you know, you have five senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, and those five senses allow you and I to interact with our world. So the person who says, I have no capacity to perceive anything else, and I don't believe in anything else, I don't think anything exists that I can't personally perceive with those senses, is saying something that's really, well, it's over the top. To discount anything that your little biology doesn't allow you to see, well, obviously you must think that you're God. Now look, even though you might not be an atheist, let let me ask you this. Whether or not that statement is true for you, See, there's a reason to be fascinated with nature. But what if you're fascinated with nature and spend no time examining with greater interest the explanation of nature and the reality of the Creator? See, on the other hand, those of us who have known faith are able to see a world not accessible to our five senses. We are able to see into the world of God.
0: With 2022 coming to a close, you may be making plans for 2023, vacations, birthdays, other events. But what about your time spent with God and his word? It can be challenging to balance our personal devotions with the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But Back to the Bible Canada has a great solution. The 2023 scripture calendar, Freedom in Christ, is designed with stunning images, Bible verses for reflection, encouraging quotes from Dr. John Newfeld, and most important, a daily Bible reading plan to help you read through the Bible in one year. Perhaps that's your commitment for 2023. And the Freedom in Christ calendar is available to you for free. Now there's a limited number left, so call us and ask for your copy today. Call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.
1: Those of us who are of faith understand that there is a world far beyond our five senses, a world that can only be grasped by faith. It is to look at matter and to realize that matter is not eternal, that matter came into being, that matter was created. And if there is a creation, there is a creator. And yet the creator can't be perceived by the senses. And yet the creator is greater than the creation. And therefore, The biggest reality of all is a reality that my physical eyesight or my five senses can't perceive. And that's what we mean. The visible was brought into being by the invisible. And as the psalmist says, our reaction then must be to stand in amazement, in awe and in fear of the one we can't see. So here's a little exercise that you might find helpful. Climb into your car and go for a drive. It doesn't really matter where you go. But what really matters is that you take careful note of everything that you see. Great and wide grain fields, skyscrapers towering above you, the road you travel, those great new cars that are on the road. Perhaps you live by the ocean and can gaze into the vastness of that ocean and and marvel at its majesty, the birds that fly above your head. Now, step number two, would you notice that everything around you once didn't exist? And this is so important. One day, all of this will again cease to exist, including the ground under your feet, including your feet. The heavens will pass away with a roar. And what does that tell you? It tells you that everything that is seen, everything that seems so substantial is in fact in reality like a vapor or a mist. It will soon be no more. But the things that are unseen, those things, they're going to endure and all that is seen will be gone. And here's the secret of the greatest men and women who have ever lived. They lived in that reality. They grasped it. And so they fixed their eyes on the unseen or the things that weren't visible to the five senses. In faith, they perceived the invisible, a foretaste of what lies beyond the visible lay at the core of their souls. All of their decisions were premised on that. All right, let's now consider some of these people. The first is a man named Abel. Hebrews 11 verse four says, "'By faith Abel offered to God "'a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, "'through which he was commended as righteous, "'God commending him by accepting his gifts. "'And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks.'" Now, if you don't know who Abel was, Abel was the first victim of murder. He was murdered by his own brother, a man of no faith. But here the writer of Hebrews doesn't concentrate on the murder, but on the two sacrifices. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than that of his brother. And of course, by implication, the inferior sacrifice of his brother was a sacrifice apart from faith. And the superior sacrifice, well, that was a sacrifice of faith. Well, how so? Well, the difference between Cain and Abel, that is, as it is described to us in Genesis 4, is that Cain offered up some of what he had, and Abel offered up to God the firstborn of what he had. That is, before any other animals were born in his herd, Abel already offered up the animal in hope and faith that there were more to come. And Cain, on the other hand, offered to God some of what he already had. So Cain, in my estimation, is a man of works. God seems to demand sacrifice, and so I'm going to give him what I think he wants. And Abel gives God the first, the best, betting on the proposition that he can't see. He believes God will take care of him. So let's put it in practical terms. It's time to give in your local church, and one person offers up what he has left over after all the bills are taken care of. The other offers up to God the first of his paycheck, not the last. One works according to what he sees, and the other by trusting in the one who is unseen. Let's go on to verse 5. It's the next man of faith, Hebrews 11:5, 5. It says, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Now, there are in the Old Testament two men who are purported not to have died, and one was Enoch and the other was Elijah. We know a lot more about Elijah than Enoch, so why does our writer now mention Enoch as a great hero of the faith? Well, I think in order to answer that, we'll have to find out what the book of Genesis actually tells us about this man named Enoch. Genesis 5, 21 to 24 says, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So, outside of the fact that God suddenly took Enoch, the thing that should arrest our attention is, is that not once but twice, Moses, the author of Genesis, reminds us that Enoch walked with God. It's an interesting phrase, but what does that mean? Let me take you to a later passage, and it's found in Amos 3, verse 3. And that passage says, Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? So let me explain. Amos is saying that two people can't walk together without coming to terms about some fundamental issues. I mean, you have to have an understanding between you. I mean, Where are we going? How long is this going to take? Why are we going? Where will we stay? What arrangements need to be made? Do you see, says Amos, when you see two people walking together, they've come to terms with some very important arrangements that they've agreed between the two of them. Well, now let's get back to Enoch. He had reached an agreement with God. He was going where God was going. That's that's all the text says. But that little insight tells us everything. Whatever decisions Enoch made in his life were all premised on one question. Where's God going? Wherever God's going, that's where I'm going. I'm going to attach my future to God. I'm going to journey following his path. And that's interesting. I mean, how does Enoch know where God is going? I mean, after all, God is unseen. Yeah, he is, but he has given us his word. Let's get practical. Imagine you work for an employer who demands that you do some things that you know are unethical. And if you comply, he's going to financially reward you. But if you refuse, you're going to lose your job and you feel the pressure. You know, the man without faith sees only what's visible. His paycheck, that's visible. His financial commitments, that's visible. Being able to get another job, now that's visible. And he knows a bad word from his previous employer can be an insurmountable problem. Ah, But the man or woman of faith asks a very different set of questions. Where is God going? Where do his footsteps lead? You know, Proverbs 8, verse 20 says that God's paths are the way of righteousness. Uh, doing that, which is in accordance with the nature of God. That's where God goes. And if your boss is going the way of wickedness, and God is going the way of righteousness, well then, the man or woman of faith, well, they walk with God. And that's a picture of work. It's a picture of, of play. And it's a picture of love, of sex, of worship. And of the words we speak, walk with God, and all of the decisions you make are now plain. Oh, I know. What if? And then we think of all the what ifs and the things that could go wrong. Faith trusts in the unseen God. Well, we've had Abel, and now we've had Enoch, just two of the many examples of people who kept their eyesight firmly on what was unseen. And with that, the writer of Hebrews is leading to a conclusion, and that's found in verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Start with the beginning. If you aren't living by trusting in the unseen God and the promises he's made to you, if your decisions and your sacrifices aren't built on the unseen promises, well, no matter what else you do, you're not pleasing to God and you're not running the race well enough to win. Let me take you back to the two ditches I spoke of at the beginning. Let's say you committed the coming year. I'm going to get rid of my my bad habits. You know, I'm going to stop yelling at my children in a rage or, you know, you fill in the blank, whatever that thing is. Let's even say you commit to eat well and your diet and you exercise and you commit to reading your Bible more and, and only watching edifying television unlike what you've been watching in the past. And let's say you accomplish all of that But you've never fixed your eyes on the unseen. You've never understood where God is going. And you've never been motivated by his promises. You haven't anticipated what is to come. You've never lived by faith. Well, now, if you accomplish all your goals without faith, you've never pleased God. You're running in such a way that you are definitely going to lose the race. You're gonna end your years with a sigh. You'll have wasted your life. Everything you'll accomplish will be burned up, don't you see? The only thing that matters is to start at the right starting point. Fix your eyes on the one who is unseen, trust in him, believe in his promises, and bank your future on that. My friends, that's all that matters.
0: John, we all do. We all make all these commitments to overcome certain things in our lives as we enter into a new year. Uh, But really, in the end, if we do all these things and yet we haven't drawn closer to Christ, then we've missed out on a lot.
1: Yeah, and uh, that's not to say that, you know, the great men and women of old, the great men of faith, were not without their accomplishments. And they are, uh, their lives are marked by great accomplishments. And I think Hebrews means to tell us that. But it also means to say that uh, without faith, as, you know, verse 6 tells us, it is impossible to please him. So um, this is the starting place of all of the life of an individual whose life is worthwhile, is that at the very starting place, we have looked at the nature of God. We have found him to be trustworthy in every way and we've banked everything on the trustworthiness of his promises, do that, my goodness, Uh, you'll not only live an exciting life when you lay down your head in the end of the day, you'll know it's really been worth it all.
0: Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, Faith and What We Hope For, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Christmas is more than family traditions, gifts, and festive music. Christmas is a promise kept. God promised to send a savior, and Christmas is the fulfillment of that pledge. Christmas is the assurance that faith and the promise of God will not be disappointed. For this reason, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the teaching of God's word, and your dependable support enables the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to fulfill that mission. As 2022 draws to a close, many listeners consider a special gift as an expression of their support for faithful, trustworthy Bible teaching. This year, our goal is to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will allow Back to the Bible Canada to enter 2023 prepared to respond to the increasing need and opportunity to engage the world around us with solid Bible teaching you can trust. To give a gift to the year-end goal, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.